Good morning, everyone. My name's Heidi, and I'll be leading us in the Bible reading this morning. It'd be really great if you had your own Bible. So if you don't have one, um, please raise your hands, and one of our hospitality girls will give you one. Uh, the Bible reading today will be from Romans chapter 8, verses 1 to 17. And if you're using the church Bible, it's on page 784. At Providence, we believe that the Bible is God's word um, and the means in which we can get to know him and understand his purposes for us and the world that he has created. The Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit." Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. When we planted Providence, we had no idea the journey would take us on. We'd seen the stats, we knew the church in Australia was struggling. Christianity, it isn't popular. Our friends haven't met Jesus and they're not interested. Where will the future church be if the church is on the decline in our country and the next generation don't think God is relevant to their lives? Back in 2015, we were given an opportunity. An opportunity to create a space and bring together a community of people who shared this vision with us to reach the next generation and make disciples for Jesus. That was the start of Providence Church. 
a small group of people who wanted to see a new church plant in the heart of Sunnybank reaching the next generation, bringing the gospel to people who don't yet know the hope, truth and love that they can have in Jesus. We wanted to bring the greater story of the gospel to their lives. So we rented this old hall in a lawn bowls club that worked for us. It wasn't a pretty venue, but each week we made sure that whatever was said during our gathering was said in a way to help newcomers feel at home with us and part of our church family. It wasn't about the place, but it was about the people and about what and who we represented. We represented Jesus. So each week we made sure that the preaching is gospel-centered because we deeply believe Jesus is still relevant to us in our generation today. We've created missional communities who meet together weekly where we study the Bible and support one another. We've raised up leaders and seen people with different gifts volunteer their time to serve God. We've been on mission in our city and in our world. Over the years, we've prayed and we've prayed a lot as well. To be a church that is on about loving Jesus, loving one another and loving our world. Why? Because Jesus loved us first. Because we've been saved by Jesus and He is so worth of our entire lives. So today we celebrate. We celebrate what God is doing in and amongst us. There are people in our church who had never heard about Jesus and why He does. Others who have grown up with the faith and they got disconnected, but now are with us and relearning what the gospel is all about. There are others who came who were looking for a space where they could grow and serve others on mission. We are where we are today because God built His church and continues to do so, even against all the odds that our generation faces today. And so we'll continue to pray that He'll build His church that he'll bring those who don't yet know the life-giving message of the gospel into our midst so we can walk alongside them and point them to Jesus. We can't change the world on our own, but we can play our part in bringing change to people's lives through the gospel of Jesus as a church that seeks to live out the vision and mission God has put us on here at Providence. Will you join us on that journey? I'll get a mic. Oh, I am. Yeah, happy birthday, Providence. It's great to be here. How good is it just to uh, reflect on what God's been doing in our church over these last six years? Uh, no balloons today, but we do have cake at lunch, and we're going to uh, celebrate more over food. We've got a food truck coming uh, for lunch, so stick around for that. Uh, we've, some of us have pre-ordered, but you can order at the, uh, at the stand as well when, when they arrive. So really excited for that. Really excited just to be able to uh, look back and think, man, we've come a long way, haven't we, as a church? For me, it's, it's, it's a blur. I remember just yesterday standing here, uh, and this used to be a lawn bowls club. Uh, there was no wooden, well, there was wooden floor, but it was under this really gross green carpet. Blue carpet? Green carpet. It was disgusting. Uh, it was just stained all the time, and you just could never get those stains out. And we had to uh, meet in this place, and we uh, rent every week. But then the lawn bowls club sometimes double booked us, and other people would be here when we rocked up, and we'd have to fight for our space, and it was just a mess every week. Um, but you know, praise God, we're still here. And, uh, and now you know, the Sunnybank, um, the community, it's now the Sunnybank Community Center, and the council has taken over and allows us to keep using this space to meet together and worship God together. How good is that? Uh, you know, I look around the room, and every week I wonder, you know, why are you here? <laughs> and how did you even come here? 
you know, we look back at the videos in 2015, uh, here in this room there was only about 15 people that rocked up every week, uh, just huddled together in this little corner. And I was always so, uh, you know, just, I was always like worried about that in the sense like people are going to walk through our doors and what is going on here? Is this some sort of cult meeting together? You know, some sort of small group that are, you know, what are they talking about here? And I was always uh, conscious of that. But, you know, it's been so good because every week people um, hear about uh, what's, what's happening at Providence, uh, hear, hear about what God is doing at Providence. People invite their friends, people are, uh, you know, through word of mouth, through social media, whatever it might be, God has been growing our church. You know, just a small experiment if I could do this. Uh, you know, we look, there are a lot of guests here, you know, welcome. Great that you can join us, uh, whether you're new, trying to you know, learn about Christianity or here to uh, support Yen with the baptism today, which I'm really excited about later. Uh, great that you could be here. But if I could just ask um, our regulars here, what year did you come in? Uh, I just want to see, I, I know a lot of people are on holiday, so it's going to be a really bad experiment. Uh, but in 2015, who started coming back in 2015? Well, there are about four people. You're not included, David. You, you didn't come in 2015. 2016. Keep your hands up for 2015 as well. Just, you know, we'll leave your hands up. 2016, well, not many more, a few more. 2017, keep your hands up, everyone. Yep, 2018, so we had more coming. Yeah, 2019 and 2020, year of COVID. Who came in last year? Well, another five or so more, wow. It's been so cool to see that, uh, to see God at work and the stories that have come through from people who have come uh, through our doors. It's been so, so amazing, uh, such a... Uh, real grace of God. Um, my favorite story, and I tell this at every newcomers, uh, is probably Joe's story. Joe came in 2015. He didn't know anyone in this church. He didn't, yeah, he came on his own and he walked into a room full of 20 people. He didn't know anyone here and he was just like, who are these people? What are they doing? I just heard, my friend told me about this. But you know what? You know how he heard about us? He was in New Zealand. Uh, he was in Auckland working over there. He got away from Brisbane, hated Brisbane, wanted to go live somewhere else. And he worked over there and he was going to a Korean church over there. And some girl in this Korean church had saw something about Providence on her Facebook. She said, oh, you're going back to Brisbane? Hey, you should check out this church. It's starting in, you know, in April 2015. You should go check it out. And so he drives all the way from, from Brookfield and he comes here from the west side half an hour to get here to, to do church with us. I'm like, how do you even know that this is trustworthy? Like, how do you know this is going to be legit? Like, are you sure you, you, you know what you're getting yourself into? And Joe's been coming every day, or every week since, uh, and it's 2021 now. That's six years later. Uh, and I praise God for stories like that. You know, I don't even know anyone from a Korean church in Auckland, just saying, right? It's just some random saw something, and, uh, well, she's probably not random. She knew someone that knew someone, and, and it's amazing. And that's what providence is. I celebrate providence all the time because uh, God's providence means he governs and controls all things. And as a Christian myself, I always want to put my trust in that, that God governs all things for, uh, for our good and for his glory. Whether it's good or bad, whether it's COVID or not, I can still trust God because uh, he loves us and we know that through his son, Jesus. And so providence is a church that's going to keep trusting in God's providence. Uh, it's a church that's going to keep trusting in his good governance for us. And we'll uh, and keep walking uh, on that mission that he has us on here. And so it's good to be here. It's good to celebrate. We're going to get into the Bible, though. We're going to celebrate more at lunch with cake. Uh, but we're going to go into our series in Romans, which we've been doing over the last uh, seven weeks or so. We're in Romans chapter 8 now. Uh, thanks, Heidi, for the Bible reading. Uh, so keep your Bibles open there. We're going to get into it. Uh, if you're new with us, if you're new to church at all, what we usually do is we sing songs, we pray a little, and then um, me, usually the pastor or the preacher, will get up here and we'll preach for about half an hour or so. Uh, 
But today's a bit special, so after our sermon today, we're going to have a baptism. We get to celebrate baptism, as I said earlier. Uh, Yen is getting baptized, and she's going to share uh, her story about how she came to know Jesus, and then we'll be um, splashing some water on her. So that's what's going to happen. I'll explain more about that after, after this. So let's get into it now. Let me pray for us uh, as we get into God's Word. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you are a God who loves us, a God who has blessed us, a God who has worked in our church over these uh, last six years. But we, can't be, we wouldn't be where we are without you building your church, a, a God who uh, wants to see people know him and, and wants to know the good news of Jesus. We're so thankful, Lord, that you, uh, week by week, um, yeah, are using us to be your mouthpiece, using us to be uh, instruments of grace and love in our city and in our world. And so we pray, Lord, as we uh, continue thinking through what it means to be a Christian and what it means to, to live out our faith uh, here in Romans 8, may you help us to uh, consider that and uh, consider how we can uh, give everything to you. And so I do pray for that, Lord, and thank you again for what you're doing in our church and especially being able to celebrate our sixth birthday. Uh, now speak to us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, last week was Easter, right? Last weekend, uh, on Sunday night, I had a group of friends come over at our place, and we uh, played this game called Mafia. Who here knows what Mafia is? Only half, half the room, right? Uh, who here likes being the Mafia when you play Mafia? Oh, okay, wow, you guys like to play naughty, naughty. Um, <laughs> So the way Mafia works, right? Mafia is a role-playing game where you're given a role to determine uh, how you play, who you play in the, uh, in the game. It's based in a city, it's a role-playing game, so you've got to imagine you're in a city and there are citizens, and among the citizens, there are Mafia, right? The bad guys. Only the Mafia know who they, they are. The rest of the city has to figure out who the Mafia is. And so if you're the Mafia, right, those guys that put their hands up, they have to lie the entire game. They have to lie their way, their way through and to survive so no one suspects you. And throughout the game, you get to vote people off, you get to kill them, and, and basically at the end of the, you know, to win, uh, it depends on who's surviving, who's left standing, how many, the majority. If all the Mafia die, then the city wins, obviously, um, but if, um, if the Mafia kill everyone, then the Mafia win. That's how it works. It's basically a game of accusations. Right? And so you're sitting around in a circle and you're looking at each other and you're sussing each other out and you start accusing each other, perhaps, you know, Serena was here, perhaps Serena looks at David, gives him a wink and I'm like, hey, 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 there's something going on between, you know, Serena and David, they're sus, they're shifty, must be mafia, you know, and that's what, how the game goes. You start accusing, you're yelling at each other, it gets really brutal, all right? I've seen close friends and married couples even backstab each other. You know, they come into the game, oh, I trust you, you know, yeah, we're on the same thing, I fully trust you. And then next minute, they're yelling at each other, they're like, every man and woman for themselves. That's how the game works. It's brutal. Now, I've played this game many times, I do enjoy it. Uh, it is a game about lying, and I'm not trying to promote lying. You play, play the game, you lie in the game, don't lie outside of the game. But, you know, you play the game, and it gets really heated, though. Uh, it gets really competitive. Uh, and people start going, getting really personal. They start being really hurtful and attack each other's character when we're just playing a game. The lines get blurred and you don't know whether you're playing the game anymore, whether it's real life, and you're like, oh my goodness, I feel really hurt, my feelings are hurt, but it's the game. Now, I like the game, but I don't like being the mafia myself, right? I'm good at being the mafia, you know, don't get me wrong, but um, <laughs> I, you know, I spend the whole time trying to convince others that I'm good. And... Uh, you know, and the whole game is you know, guilty until proven innocent. Everyone's a su suspect. And for me, when I'm mafia, yeah, sure, um, 
I can lie, and it scares me how easy it is to lie. Um, but under the surface, I'll be honest, my heart's racing. Uh, and my poker face is, is one smirk away from giving myself up. <laughs> but forget about mafia for a second. Even in real life, doesn't life often feel like that's what we're doing? We're pursuing our careers, we're, we're chasing this, this popularity and status, we're, we're wanting su- success and security, and doesn't it sometimes we feel like it's just one big facade, a big lie? Uh, we, we conform to society, convincing others uh, and the person in the mirror that we're, we're good people. We're good people, we're secure people, we're joyful people, we're, we have peace, but is that how we truly feel? I mean, isn't that how we portray ourselves on social media? But behind the camera, behind closed doors, don't we all have, aren't our, don't we all feel those issues of, of insecurity? Don't we all feel those issues of shame and anxiety that we have to deal with? And, as, and at it, you know, at sometimes at least, it, it feels like it's all a big facade, doesn't it? But even more so, for you and I, some of us here who are Christians, we know our sin, and we know it better than anyone else, but we spend our lives trying to cover our tracks with good works, trying to be charitable, we, we, uh, we lie a little, we'll withhold the truth, we won't confess, we won't be vulnerable about who we truly are, we want to convince others around us, even ourselves, that we're good. We're good Christian, good Christians. Do you ever feel tired of playing that game? What if we could distinguish what a true Christian actually looks like? What does an authentic Christian, what would, what would be some elements that marked an authentic Christian, a life like that? You see, the question we ask each other in mafia, right, is who are you? Are you the mafia? Who are you? But today I'm going to ask, who will you be? How will it be shown in the way you play the game of life? Uh, we've heard so far in Romans how we're justified, we're made right with God and, and have our salvation through faith in Jesus alone. And we finished chapter 7, right, a couple of weeks ago before Easter, where Paul speaks about his real struggles of being a Christian, where you desire to please God. Yes, Christians desire to please God, but the, the desire to sin against God is also right there existing alongside. That's where we're at in the, Romans, uh, in the letter of Romans, right? And Paul is the author, he's the apostle who, uh, who spoke to Jesus, who was taught by Jesus. Paul wants us to appreciate now what salvation means for us. Right? We spent the first seven chapters talking about how we get salvation. Now he's speaking about how we live in our salvation. And the first thing he wants us to see, well, the, few, the three things, he wants to see that we do have a new freedom. The second thing, he wants us to see that we have new desires. And thirdly, a new relationship. That's where we're going to go today. So let's read again from the Bible, eight verse one, chapter 8, verse 1. If you have your Bibles, you can follow along. Therefore, there is no, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us. We do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. All right, before we're told how we live, it begins with our position. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Paul's emphasizing this truth here. God doesn't hold anything against you if your faith is in Jesus. Because Jesus took that condemnation for us. Paul is explaining how it works. We don't receive any condemnation, past, present, future, because Jesus was sent by God in the likeness of sinful flesh. What is he saying? That he, he's saying that he wasn't sinful. Jesus wasn't sinful. He came, he came in the likeness of it. He came as a human being. 
human beings have this sinful flesh. He came as a human to represent humanity and dying that real death on the cross. That was how he could take the sin of humankind to meet God's requirements. So Jesus was our great substitute. He was a sin offering to please God. You see, this is wonderful news. If you're here and you're new to Christianity, um, let me tell you something. You and I, we can actually get right with God, with Jesus. When you put your faith in Jesus, God holds nothing against us. Instead, he sees Jesus as the substitute. He sees Jesus, who was perfectly holy on our behalf, take our sin for us so we can stand before God. That's what Easter last week was all about. That's what the death and resurrection of Jesus accomplishes. And so Paul writes, it's the work of the Spirit that sets us free from sin and death. And there's this new idea here. We're being told of the Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit of God here that he's referring to. Uh, if you've been around Christian circles, you'll know the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, the, the triune God that we believe in. And his role is to really shine the spotlight on Jesus, to help us uh, live a life that follows him. And so through the Spirit, we've been freed from sin. And the resulting consequence of death, we've been freed from sin and death. We have a newfound freedom. The principle that once guided us was to live by our, our flesh. That's all we knew. When he says flesh here, it's this, this sinful nature that every human has. It reigns and directs how we live. It's our default, right? That we'd rather choose ourselves over God. But, you know, you might be thinking, okay, what, what are you talking about? Sinful nature, mafia, me, what are you talking about? Here in the Bible, our flesh, it's, it's a way of saying that we'd rather choose ourselves over God as king. Instead of our, our sinful nature would always want to rule our lives over God that we'd rather sit on the throne instead of him. And when that happens, our hearts express, it, it, it overflows into sin, right? We always think sin is just the bad things we do, but it's actually our condition. And I'm as guilty of sin as you. And I see it in the way that I act, in the things that I do. I roll my eyes at you because I'm impatient, and that's an outworking of my sin. I get envious of your shoes, you know, because they look really good on you and I'm not content with mine. But that's a result of my sin. I'm not content with anything. Yeah, I, 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 I dismiss that person in need and I think, oh, that's too inconvenient to help that person. And I did that because I love my own comfort. And that's because I'm sinful. See, this nature in me is my default. It might be the things I do, it might be the things I don't do, but it's there in my flesh, in my human nature. It's me on autopilot because that's where my heart is when I worship myself instead of worship God. See, the Christian life begins with knowing how bad you actually are. You know, and we live in a world that tells you how good you are all the time, but the Bible actually puts a mirror to our souls to be aware that you are a sinner, that we are all sinners, me included, that Sin isn't about doing bad things, but it's about rejecting God as our God. What happens is the Holy Spirit is now with us when we put our faith in Jesus, and it reveals that to us. The Holy Spirit actually is that mirror to our souls. It shows us what holiness looks like. It shows us what God looks like. And that, you know what holiness looks like? It looks like Jesus. When we meet Jesus, we meet someone without sin, perfect, holy, perfectly holy in every way. This is the good news. This is the gospel. Jesus dies on the cross. See, that's the message the Christian rejoices over again and again. There is now no condemnation, freedom from sin, freedom from death through the Spirit that gives life. How can you know you're a Christian? How can you pick out the Christian in the bunch? They rejoice over this truth. 
we've been set free. But secondly, that freedom allows us, it empowers us to have new desires as well. Let me explain. Verse 5, it says this, Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. All right, there's, it's, he's explaining something very simple here. We want to distinguish who are truly Christians? Well, ask them how they view their sin. Ask yourself, how do you view your sin? Ask yourself, what consumes your mind and your thoughts? Are we meditating on the things of God, or are we constantly obsessed with our own desires and wants? See, when the Christian has the Holy Spirit, our desires change. They don't stay the same. Uh, the change that happens only happens because the Spirit lives in us and moves our hearts toward change. Now, now that doesn't happen overnight. It's a process. I'm a work in progress myself. I still have desires that aren't of the Spirit. I'm very much selfish. I very, very much have Mikey-centered desires, and this is what I have to do. I have to use my mind and set my mind on the things of the Spirit. And some people often uh, think Christianity is this fluffy religion, right? Christianity is uh, uh, God loves us, that should make you feel good about yourself, so you should love God too. Something airy-fairy like that. Something very, I mean, it's not wrong, but it's a bit just fluffy. But it's so much more than a fluffy feeling, isn't it? God wants us to use our minds. He wants us to think. Think about how you're living. Think about how you want to live. Because if you don't think, you're going to be thrown around. Thrown around um, by the ways, by the next fad or however our culture tells us to live. And that stuff, it bombards us every day, doesn't it? Our minds are consumed with what we see on our computer screens, what we see on TV, what our friends are doing and their lifestyles as well. And our very character is shaped by that. What our minds are consumed by shapes how we live our lifestyle. Isn't that true? But what the Bible says, is it sets, it sets a culture for us that is timeless. Think about it, right? When I was, um, think about how you think and think about how that affects the way you live. Uh, when I was a young lad, I used to crush on the girls a lot and my mind would be consumed by it. I'd be trying to figure out how to slide into their DMs and, you know, get a moment with them. How can I, what would I say to them? And I'd just be consumed by that. Or perhaps your life is shaped around what you have your, uh, your, your, on success or early retirement. What does that look like for you? You know, if your mind was set on that, you'd be hustling all the time. You'd be long hours in the office, watching the stock market go up and down, whatever it might be. Your mind's consumed by it and it reflects in your lifestyle. What our mind's consumed with is, is what our lifestyle reflects, you know? And, and you know what? That actually reflects our religion. Those things that we set our mind on becomes our religion. It's what we live for. It's what we worship. Ultimately, what or who do we worship? Whether it's our search for love or for money or for happiness or for our comfort. You know, the common denominator in all those things is still me. Don't we all set our mind, minds on ourselves? Ultimately, isn't it me that I truly worship in life? But when we have the Spirit, thinking living becomes very different. Because the Spirit lives in us, gives us a new heart that moves our minds to think about what a life shaped by God looks like. And so when we fill our minds with what the Spirit desires, it changes our lives. 
We're not thinking about me anymore. As a Christian, I'm thinking about the gospel. I'm thinking about God and Jesus. I'm thinking about how I can better worship God, not myself. And then the more I read the Bible, the more I soak myself in God's word, his character, I see God's love for me. And his love calls me to love others. And so now I'm not thinking about myself. I'm thinking about God and I'm thinking about others now. And that's reflected in the way I live. I'm going to think about how I can serve others around me and think of those around me in need. Our desires change. Now, now let me talk about something that, that, that some of us have, have looked into. I've been asked this question before. There's this new age idea out there, right? Uh, it's been around for a while now called the law of attraction or manifestation. Have you guys heard of that before? Some of us, no. Okay, well, I don't even talk about this then. No, but seriously, there is this thing that's out there. And I think we should all know what this is. It's if you believe it, you might have heard it in this way. If you believe it and proclaim it, you can have it. And basically, it's this idea that our thoughts and feelings have a corresponding energy. If you have positive thoughts, then positive things will happen to you, right? The power of positive thinking. And they say, just manifest it. Manifest it in your mind. You've got these new age gurus like Deepak Chopra and Oprah promoting this stuff, saying to have it, you just have to imagine. Write a letter to the universe, whisper to the universe. Ask the universe for it and you'll receive. You want money? You want fame? Think and imagine it and it will be so. Power of positive thinking. What you think will eventually become something. Now, if you ever ask me what I think about it, here's the answer. They've taken this idea from the Bible and they've twisted it dress it up as some self-help, spiritual, new age thing where you're in control of your destiny. But we're not. And it's not that simple. I don't think anyone last year asked the universe for COVID, did they? Because that's what they got. What you set your mind on is where your heart is and how your life is shaped. But the Bible is saying you, you do this so you can, not because you can manifest certain things, but rather to actually stop thinking about yourself. Set your mind on God and what He wants of you. The law of attraction is so me-centered, but for the professing Christian, it's not about you anymore. There's someone far greater that your heart has been captivated by. And when your heart is swept up by Jesus, you end up with new desires. For the Christian, your desires change. Because the Spirit isn't going to leave you the way you once were. Now, we don't talk about greed enough, but aren't we all pretty selfish with our money? You know, the Christian whose mind is set on Jesus starts asking, how much do I need and how much can I give generously? How much can I give so someone else who doesn't have what I have can have what I have? You see, the desire, desire changes. It's not for self, it's for others, a new desire. You'll, you'll, um, you'll be thinking, oh, I really like to rest on Sundays. I really like Sundays off for myself. But then you meet Jesus and you want to spend your Sundays at church all of a sudden. And not even just go to church. You, you have this new desire that you want to start serving at church. You want to serve God. You want to serve your church community. New desire because you've set your things on, on what the Spirit wants for you. Or when you get frustrated, you could respond to that person with anger and impatience. Or you could be understanding and gracious. Why? Because God has given that new desire to be compassionate and gracious. Not from yourself. That's what the Spirit does in us. He moves us to think this way. He inspires He empowers us. These new desires aren't to make ourselves look better. The Christian desire is to make Jesus look better in our lives. That's what the Spirit does. Shines the spotlight on Jesus. And so you're playing this game of life. How can you tell who the Christian is? The Christian is the one who genuinely doesn't want to sin anymore, but would rather live for Jesus. See, there is no middle ground to this. There is no sitting on the fence. You can't think, I love sin and I love God. You're kidding yourself. It's like I'm the mafia, but I'm also one of the good guys, yeah. It doesn't work like that. 
when you read verse 12 to 13, let's read it. It says this. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you die. But if by the Spirit you put to death uh, the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Put to death the misdeeds of the body. He's saying, kill sin in your body. Kill sin. Uh, there's a famous um, preacher from the 1600s, an old guy, John Owen. He's a Puritan. He said this, kill sin or sin will kill you. You see, we've got to see sin for what it really is. It's that crouching tiger, hidden dragon thing that's going to take your soul, right? And I'm pretty, good at, uh, I'm pretty good at persuading people, but I can't persuade you to kill sin. You have to be convicted of that to truly live it out. I can't tell you just to hate it. You have to be convicted of that. And that's going to only happen with the Spirit at work in your heart. And you praying and setting your mind on the things of the Spirit. The Christian needs to ask themselves this. Are you aware of your sin? Do you actually desire not to sin? Do you even hate your sin? Do you want to kill your sin? You see how we can distinguish if we're truly Christians? We'll say yes to those things. Now, sure, you might be new to Christianity and still early on in your faith, but seriously, the more you get to know the love and goodness of God, how can you not hate your sin? Oh, it's your sin, my sin, that put our Lord Jesus on a cross. How can you not despise sin? The more I understand why Jesus had to die, the more I'm disgusted by my sin. I hate my selfishness. I hate my impatience. I hate that I have a heart that has hatred and bitterness in it. I hate that I try to do good, but then I end up hurting someone instead. Uh, I try in measly ways to kill sin, but it's like a weed that keeps coming back. I need to wage war against my sinful nature. I need to put it to death. This is serious. Imagine if you're going to war tomorrow. If you're going to war tomorrow, you'd need to be prepared, wouldn't you? You can't get out of bed in your undies, you know, and, and bring an umbrella with you to go to war. That's not going to save you. That's not going to kill anyone. I know you'd be scared if you saw me running at you with my jocks and my socks on. But that's not what you do if you go to war, right? You need to be prepared. How will you kill sin? Paul actually talks about this later in the book of Ephesians. He says, arm yourself for war with prayer, with the Spirit, with the Bible, the Word of God. It will protect you. You see, if you don't kill sin, sin will kill you. But here's another way. Think about killing sin by exposing yourself to Jesus. Open your heart to the love of Christ for you and how great He is. Because the more you love Jesus, the more you don't want to sin. That's how you're going to kill sin. Open your heart to the love of Christ for you. See how great that is. You don't need to gratify your desires because you've got someone greater worth living for. Replace it with a greater affection, a greater love. Do you know what I'm saying here? Yeah, it's, it's like the guy, the bachelor, who, who loves playing video games, but if it was affecting, if you were, it stopped you from getting married to someone that you love, you know, if your wife was like, ah, choose me or the video games, what would you choose? Hopefully you choose your wife, right? You know, isn't that, that love for, for your wife, doesn't that pale in comparison because you felt her love, received it, and you know that's life-giving? Sure, it's great to have a wife who lets you play video games too, but you know, ex expose your heart to Jesus. You know what I'm trying to say here, right? When you meet someone greater, when you have a greater affection, you, don't, you won't want to sin. You'll want to kill sin. Expose your heart to Jesus, and you'll know there's something far greater than sin. You have a God who knows you deeply and loves you unconditionally, and that's what's going to empower you to squash sin out of your life. You know, you're not going to see God that way unless you set your things on the mind of the Spirit. Unless you walk with Him. 
You see, our minds are so consumed by that bombardment around us that says we don't have enough. It feeds our discontentment, our insecurity, and our unhappiness. What if we could silence those voices with the Spirit? What if we could submit to the Spirit and be led to truth and put everything in perspective? You see, our hearts are never satisfied, but what if we operated out of a heart that knew satisfaction, a heart that knew contentment, security, and joy because we felt it in the abundance of God's love? It would change our perspective on life, wouldn't it? It would change how we live, wouldn't it? You can tell the Christian is not, only, not only knows their new freedom, but the Christian has new desires, and they operate from a heart that knows, thirdly, they have a new relationship with God. This is verse 14. Let's read it. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship, and by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in His sufferings in order that we may also share in His glory. So far throughout Romans, uh, if you've been with us or you can catch up online, you, there's all this legal language being used. Paul keeps talking about our standing before God. Are we right with God or are we not right? Are we guilty or innocent before God? You know, and we've discovered that we are, can be right with God through Jesus, right? Through Jesus who goes um, before God and takes the punishment for us. But here he shifts gear and he says, you know what? Yeah, we're, we're right with God, but now we have blessings. You know what one of those blessings is? We're welcomed into God's family. We're not just made right, we're actually welcomed into his family. In the words of J.R. Packer, he says, closeness, affection, and generosity are at the heart of the relationship. To be right with God, the judge, yeah, that's a great thing. But to be loved and cared for by the God, the Father, is greater. See, the meaning of being adopted into God's family is ginormous. You can't get any higher privilege in this universe. We tell our kids that they can be anything they want to be, right? You can be the President of the United States if you want to be. But, you know, to be a child of God, oh, oh, that's the highest privilege you can be given. You can't achieve that on your own. What do I want for my future child? I want, do I want success? Status, wealth, I want them to be able to call God their father. That they can know that they're God's child. That's a far greater position to be in. This life is short, man. This idea of adoption, adoption in the Bible is a glorious thing. In God's eyes before him, we were, we were all once orphans. We were all spiritually lost children. Adoption means we have a home now, an eternal home now and one to, you know, now to come, right? We get to live with that security of this new identity that God gives us. And man, that's so liberating. See, Paul uses the word sonship to apply to both men and women here. He knows men and women are reading this. He's not trying to be sexist or chauvinist. He's speaking into a culture and a context, an audience. And he's saying very much these words, sonship, in a very intentional and purposeful way here, right? You see, in ancient Roman culture, the son was the one who got the inheritance. The oldest son got the inheritance. Women didn't have many rights. We're, to, you know, we're talking about that patriarchal culture and time. So when Paul says in verse 5, uh, Paul says here, and sorry, in, um, in this idea of adoption, we've been redeemed so that we might receive adoption in sonship. He's saying you and I now, followers of Jesus, men and women included, We've become heirs of the inheritance. You see, while ancient Roman culture said that only the oldest son gets the inheritance, Paul's saying God makes us all sons. Men and women get to share in this reality and this privilege. 
And this is what the Spirit does for us. We can come to God and cry. Like in our deepest part of our souls, we can cry, Abba, Father. Uh, you know, you might have heard Abba is this Aramaic word that is, um, it's, it's an intimate word. Like if my children came, if my child, future child comes to me and say, say, Father, hey, Father, I'd feel, what? What are you calling me Father for? It sounds really distant, doesn't it? But if my, my, my we're going to have a girl, and my daughter says to me, hey, hey, Daddy, it, it's personal, isn't it? It's intimate. If that's what Paul's getting at. Abba, Father, is this intimate way of coming to God where you can depend on Him. You can rely on Him. Aware that God will always have your back. He'll never forsake us or abandon us. It's that new relationship that the Spirit secures for us. There's a security that this new relationship offers. The Christian, wow, it's, you know, it's okay if you don't have it all together. You can run to the Father and depend on Him. I, don't, I, I need to hear that as much as you. I put expectations on myself to be someone. I compare myself to someone. I tell myself I'm not good enough all the time. I'm weak, anxious, broken. And sure, I can tell myself to be positive, self-love and do all that inspirational empowerment stuff in my head, but that's never going to give me the assurance or the confidence in the long run. What I need is truth. And I need to keep preaching this truth to my heart, how God sees me. I'm a child of God. I'm loved by God. Friends, you don't need to read any more self-help books. Read the Bible if you want to know that you're loved. We don't have to put up the facade anymore. It's okay that we fail at life sometimes. Sometimes we miss the bar that we set for ourselves. Because you know what? I no longer live for myself or try and impress the people around me. I'm called to live for an audience of one. And that one is my God who has already called me, loved me, invited me, and brings me into his family. And so do you see what marks the Christian life? When I meet Jesus, this is what I'm told. There is no condemnation. He took that for you. You and I, we don't need to hide behind a mask, even though we're wearing masks. We don't need to hide behind a mask. We can be honest and vulnerable about who we are and how we don't always have it together. God gives us help. The Spirit of God is our helper, will help us keep fighting sin. And it's through that same Spirit you've been welcomed in, adopted, and you have a seat at the table of God. If you're not there yet with Jesus, let me encourage you to really think about it. Think about the world you live in. Think about what you're living for. Think about what truly matters into eternity. I want you to know that this invitation is for you as well. That he too can be your God and be your help as you get through this life. But be prepared. It won't ever be the same again. It'll be better. You can ask anyone in this room, who is living the Christian life for Jesus. See, I've been so privileged these last six years to be part of this journey with so many of you here that call Providence home. I've witnessed it. It's part of my, it's part of my job, but it's, part, it's, it's one of the greatest parts of my job, my joy. You know, when I started this church uh, with, with my wife and a group of people, we, uh, we set out to help people see this truth. That was our goal. That people would see that there is no condemnation in Jesus. And over the years, I've seen people understand the gospel. People where, where they've found acceptance, where they, they couldn't find it anywhere else. They found security and peace and joy where they couldn't find it anywhere else. I, I've seen it. I've walked with many of you. And I've seen you change, where your desires have changed, where your thinking has changed, where you want to kill sin and live for Jesus. 
yeah, we're going to be celebrating Yen's baptism, but I've seen so many of you go through the waters of baptism. I've had the privilege of doing that with you. It's been amazing because you know what? That's life. We celebrate the life of providence with six years of life. We get to celebrate the life, uh, the, the new spiritual life that Yen is part of under Jesus in her baptism. We celebrate life. And you know what that life is, is from? It's from Jesus. You know, it's, it's been such a privilege to be able to see that in this church, to see God at work. You know, if God, if I didn't see that happening, if I didn't see any change in the lives of people here at Providence, 100% I would not be here right now. Six years, I don't have that patience. <laughs> but I've seen God's Spirit at work, working miracles. And I'm so thankful to be part of it. You see, my prayer for our sixth birthday is that we'll want to pursue this authentic faith. This authentic faith where we, that, 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 we, that we won't need to have it all together, but we have a God who loves us still. Friends, let's not ever lose that culture of providence. It's, it's not really the culture of providence, it's the gospel culture that God gives us, where we can be real and vulnerable with one another. One where we can express our deep need for Jesus and not feel ashamed for that. A church shaped by God's love for us. Providence, this is what it's all about. This is why we exist. We don't have to wear our masks anymore, metaphorically. We don't have to put up the facade. We can... We, <laughs> We can own our faults. We can own our mistakes. We can own our imperfections. You know, all the things we want, our control, our security, our success, our, our status. You know what? What God offers is so far better. We don't have to play into the game of life as if we're trying to impress the world around us and be someone we're not. Chase after the things that are shallow and don't really last. We don't have to conform to that. We have a God who knows us and loves us still, who doesn't condemn us, but gifts us with His Spirit that helps us live the authentic Christian life. Let's pray for that. Heavenly Father, we do thank You for Jesus, that through Jesus, through His death and resurrection, through our faith in that, in Him, in the gospel, there is now no condemnation. We've been saved. We now have right standing with you, but we also have now been welcomed into your family. We can call you our Father and come to you. Come to you vulnerable. Come to you with our imperfections. Come to you knowing that we're not perfect, but knowing that you're a perfect God and you love us still. And we've seen that in Jesus. Help us to hold on to that truth. Help us as a church, Lord, to keep holding on to that reality that... that um, we have a God that loves us, and so we're called to be a, a church that loves others, that loves our world around us, to bring that message of hope and, and love to those who don't yet know you. We do pray, Lord, that you will continue to work in the life of our church as a providence, you know, knowing and trusting in your providence, that you'll continue to work in us um, by your Spirit, helping us to have new desires, God, setting our mind on the things above, setting our mind on the things of the Spirit. Help us, Lord, to change. We don't want to live uh, the sinful life. We want to live for you. Help us to do that. And as we pray all these things, Lord, as we pray for the Spirit to be at work, Lord, may you be glorified. May we be a church that puts Jesus up in, in bright lights across our city because it's not about us. 
It's all about you. It's all about your glory. And you're the one worthy of everything. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.